0: This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. It's really awesome to be here. Um, My husband, Bob, and I have for a long time felt like Darren was a pastoral figure in our lives, probably a decade or so. And um, so we watch... Most weeks, we watch your service, and I found out today that it was this service that I'm watching, so I am very familiar with the back of your heads. It's really nice to see the front side today. Um, glad to get to know you. You know, it's not just that Darren's been a pastoral figure in our lives, but you have been a very influential piece of courage in our faith walk. When I say ours, I mean Bob and Dana Gresh, my husband and I. I'd and just like to tell you a little bit about how that has kind of unfolded in our lives. We knew that you guys were doing awesome things as a church community about 10 years ago, and just loved the philosophy of using your resources to meet the needs of people to bring them to the to the gospel. And so. That inspired us, but the rubber really kind of started to meet the road about seven years ago. Our ministry was growing right now. Our ministry, True Girl, um, impacts moms and daughters in about 123 countries. In a handful of those countries, we have formalized programs where we have actual leadership teams teaching moms and daughters to be biblical women of truth. And... The first country that we formalized a program in was the Dominican Republic, and I would love to tell you about that because you're a part of it. We got letters from the Dominican Republic, lots of moms, and so many that at one point at a board meeting, one of the board members said, we need to go. So my husband and this board member got in a plane, went to the Dominican Republic, and my husband came back and he said, baby, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think God wants us to go there and start ministering to Latin America with a base in the DR, and I cried. I don't know if you've ever been at the the, the end of you, the end of your resources, the end of your time, the end of your energy. I was like, how on earth would we do that? I can hardly keep up with the demand here in the United States. And Bob said, I, I don't, would you pray about it? And I, of course I said, I'll pray about it, which we all know is code for that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and so I was praying about it because that's what I said I would do. I really didn't expect the Lord to soften my heart, but he did and it really wasn't a softening of the heart, it was more of a kick in the seat. Because my friend Nancy called me and she said, hey, I'm gonna do my first international women's event And I'm wondering if you would come be on the speaking team. And I said, sure, let's do it. Where are we going? She said, the Dominican Republic. (laughs) I knew then that the Lord was saying, yes, I need you to move forward in this. I am at work here. So Bob and I went about a week early to the Dominican Republic for that women's conference, partly to pray about how God was going to have us work there. Well, we went to the mountains because if you're from the Dominican Republic, you don't go to the beach for vacation. You like to wear a sweater. You go up into the mountains for vacation. So we went. They told us, go to Hadovacoa. It's beautiful. You're going to love it. It was beautiful. Up in the top of the mountains, baseball players and multimillionaires, billionaires from all over the world own these amazing properties. But down in the valley, there's compounds like you see in some of the roughest mission fields in the world. The other thing you see, and it's really hard the first time you see it, is pregnant little girls. I'm not talking about teenagers, I'm talking about 12 year olds. We would learn that the United Nations says that that community, Hatabakoa, has the highest rate of teen pregnancy on the planet For 13 to 15-year-olds, have you ever seen a pregnant 12-year-old? You don't ever recover from that. Here's the thing. Every single one of those little girls you see walking around pregnant was trafficked by her mom. That mom, at one point, was the little girl who was trafficked. And then by the time she's in her 20s, she has five kids she can't feed to five different men who've abandoned her. And the only thing she knows to do is to do what she saw her mom do. So she gives that 12-year-old or that 13-year-old or that 14-year-old to a man who she perceives might be their great white hope, but is just the next abuser. And they don't know anything different. I want you to hear something from me. Children do what they see their parents do. And sometimes that's pretty horrific. Well, um, Bob and I knew we were supposed to go. We just didn't know how to do it, but we knew someone who did. So we called Darren Dyler and we said, Darren, we are going to the Dominican Republic to start something and we don't know what it is. Will you come? So for about a week, Darren went down to Haravikoa with us. And we didn't know what to do except we said to tell these, this one lady who was kind of the center of it all, tell all your friends to come. And 72 people came. These were pastors. These were Christian educators. These were leaders in the community. These were Christian businessmen and women. And we taught these 72 people. We told the story of what Conduit has done in other communities and it inspired them and it inspired us. Darren taught out of Genesis what the Bible says about marriage because marriage and fatherhood is a non-existent thing in this community. Very, very rare. And Bob and I who've studied a great deal about sexual theology and gender taught what we knew about that. And we just said, okay, Lord, what are you gonna do with it? Well, fast forward a few years, we have 32 of those 72 people who have gone through a lot of training, biblical training, psychological training, counseling training, and they have the right to write grants to accomplish three things, reduce teen pregnancy, out of wedlock pregnancy, increase father involvement and marriage, And share the gospel of Jesus. And we fund this work. And there's all kinds of things that they're doing in Jarabacoa and in the Dominican Republic, but they're ministering throughout all Latin America because they have started True Girl for Latin America. Chica Verdadera ministers all throughout the country. Now, I should tell you that when my husband went, he said, Dana, I think, on that original visit, what the work that we do in the Dominican Republic will be greater, have greater reach and more fruit than the work we do in the United States. Well, last year, the Chica Verdadera team's online Bible study students, we have up to 10,000 students a year in the United States, their numbers surpassed our United States numbers in their online Bible study students. They are having greater fruit, they are having greater outreach. And it's beautiful to see. It's going to take a long time, but we believe that this team is going to turn one of the devil's playgrounds on this planet into a story of God's glory. And I cannot tell you how many times that we've been working on this project and we've said, well, conduit did it. Maybe we can do it. You give us great courage, so thank you for that. You might be saying, what about the boys? I want to tell you about them. We've started a baseball program, and it's not a shabby baseball program. We're talking about amazing men. Some of these boys go on into um, the United States to get scholarships for baseball at United States universities, It's a good baseball program. But let me tell you, even though these men are baseball coaches, what they are first and foremost is followers of Jesus Christ who are being father figures in the lives of boys who don't know what a father is so that one day they will be able to be one. And so the other reason I'm telling you this is not just because Darren has been a great part of it and you've given us courage, but... When we do your event here on the 29th, you're funding that work. Not just there in the Dominican Republic, but in South Africa, we've formalized a team there. 123 countries. And in those countries, moms can't afford a ticket to come to an event and they can't afford a book. So every time we do an event here, not only are we ministering to the moms and daughters here in the United States, but we're sending whatever we have left over, and the Lord is the Lord of loaves and fishes, let me tell you to these countries. So I hope that you'll buy tickets if you have daughters between the ages of seven to 12. How many of you have girls between the ages of seven to 12 or granddaughters between the ages of seven and 12? Okay, today we have our um, box office set up and if you buy your, for every mother-daughter set of tickets you buy, we'll give you a free gift because we really want you to be talking about the fact that we're coming here and we hope you'll tell people And this is Nashville, so you know about load in and load out, right? So, yeah, there's that too. We would love to have you. It's a great party. Um, Guys, thank you. I am here in part today to testify about the work that you do every week. It's so exciting to see the wall because when we listen on video, we can't see the wall. Darren just talks about the wall. I'm like, I want to see the wall. Today, I got to see the wall. And every story I hear of you rescuing slaves setting them free inspires me. I wonder how many other ministers and ministries are watching like I am and getting courage from you. Today I wanna talk to you about um, how to raise children of faith in a post-Christian world. You can open your Bibles to Exodus 2. We're gonna use the True Girl 4Z Method of Bible Study today. We've kind of simplified the inductive method of study I believe that children are fully capable of digesting spiritual meat, do you agree? Yes, so we don't water it down much, but we simplify it and make it easy. The 4Z method: we're going to zoom out to understand context. We're going to zoom in to get the particulars. I don't know why we use the word particulars, but it's a weird word. We're going to look at the particulars today, and then we're going to um, we're going to try to zip it up and understand what God wants it to mean in our own personal lives. So let's zoom out a little bit first. Um, Exodus, the book is named Exodus. It's actually two Hebrew words, ex and otis. Ex means out, otis means the road. So the name of this book is The Road Out. The road out of what? Slavery. But if you zoom out even further, the Bible is not uh, isolated stories, it's one big story. And all of the Bible is the road out of our enslavement to sin starting all the way back in Genesis. And I don't know what enslaves you today. I know it's not Pharaoh and an Egyptian dynasty, but maybe it's workaholism or maybe it's bitterness or maybe it's shame from your past. That was a big prison from my heart maybe it's pornography or maybe it's spending. I know that Jesus Christ is your road out and there is no other road that I've ever found that ever gets you the full freedom. So find him, find Jesus. He is your freedom. Now, um, I, before I, I dig into Exodus 2, I want to say this. I really do believe we're in a post-Christian world. I've been seeing that for 10 years, feeling that for 10 years, but a, Uh, A moment for me when I realized we are here, we're uh, we're no longer going there, we are here, was just a few months ago, I saw something that I just can't get out of my head, and I imagine some of you saw it too. It was video footage of an 18-year-old girl throwing her baby in a dumpster. Did any of you see that? I cannot unsee it. Praise God, some people, some dumpster divers looking for treasures found the greatest treasure there is, life in that dumpster. They heard that baby's cries and they rescued that baby. But as I wrestled through that image in my head that I could not unsee, I had this thought, and I'm not a sociologist, but I'm a woman who's studied cultures, who've walked away from faith. And I think this is true. A common denominator of a post-Christian or anti-Christian culture is this, they no longer value life. They no longer value life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. An anti-Christian culture is a culture that does not love life. Like a culture of Harabakoa, where they traffic, not only do they traffic their little girls, but it is on the planet one of the hubs of organ trafficking, which I cannot even wrap my mind around. I cannot wrap my mind around what they would do for the sake of an organ out of a child. They don't understand the value of life. Slavery, you're rescuing. Every time you hear a a rescue story and you see a picture of a family that's been rescued by conduit, you know what you're doing? You are telling the whole story of the Bible with that single story. You are the greatest image bearer of God because not only are you made in his likeness, but you're acting in his likeness and in his character every time you set one of those Family's free. Abortion is another evidence that we don't value life. And we celebrate it in this country. We celebrate the death of a baby in this country. A lack of love and respect for the elderly. That's an anti-Christian mindset. These are evidences of a post-Christian world, and we are here. We're living in it right now. I wanna take you in scripture in Exodus three to a woman who lived in a culture like that because they did not value life, but who knew how to raise children of faith and knew how to live like a woman of faith herself. Now, in case you don't recognize the name Joshabed, that is the name of Moses' mother, Miriam's mother and Aaron's mother. Now, if that was me, I would just be like, can I just have the mother of the century award right now? I mean, this is some good parenting. Now, she didn't do it alone. Her husband's name was Amron, and he had to have been a very godly man. But we're going to focus in a bit on Joshabed today. And they lived at a time when the value of life was just horrific. I want to read to you, as we're still zooming out, we're still looking at the context. Exodus 1, I want to read to you verse 7. It says, The Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. Does that sound like something you may have read in Genesis? In Genesis, there's the Eden blessing on life where God commands Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and subdue it. And we see here that the Israelites pe- people have actually done that. But Pharaoh does not see that as good. Let's keep reading as we're zooming out. And verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shipra. Okay. I'm going to ask you to write in your Bibles. Can you do that? Will anyone twitch? It's okay. It's all good. Circle the word, the name Shiprah. I want you to circle that. And the second whose name was Pua. I want you to circle Pua's name too. We're going to come back to that. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. And it goes on. They said, oh, the, the, he, the Hebrew women are vigorous in birth. I think the truth is probably that Shipra and Pua walked slow on purpose. They did not fear Pharaoh when he said to do what was evil in God's sight. They feared God. When the midwives didn't obey... Let's go down to verse 21. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families, right? So God's blessing them, increasing them and more. And Pharaoh then commanded all his people, every Egyptian now, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So any Hebrew, any Hebrew baby boy that was visibly seen by an Egyptian could be picked up under the age of two and thrown into the Nile River callously. Does that sound like what I saw on that video of that girl throwing a baby in the dumpster? This was an anti-Christian culture, an anti-God culture, and we live today in an anti-Christian, anti-God culture But you and I are called to be quiet rescuers, just like these two midwives. We're called to obey God and fear God. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't just that Pharaoh couldn't see that the thriving families of the Israelites was good. He thought that killing the Hebrew baby boys was good. He celebrated it. He saw it as a good thing rather than an evil thing. With that as our kind of our context, I want us to zoom in and look at the particulars of the life of Joshabed Jacobed You're not going to see her some people say Jacobed. I think that sounds weird. I don't know why. I have a hard time saying Jock in a woman's name. Doesn't work for me. So Joshabed it is. Just being frank with you. We're being honest today. All right. Exodus 2, I wanna read this to you and I wanna ask you to really lean in. This is the word of God and I feel like he's gonna say something good to us here in this today. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. All right, you still got that pen out? Circle Levite woman. I, not all, I know not all of you are listening to me because I can tell you're just looking at me like, I don't feel like circling right now. You're not gonna get the same blessing that some of us who are using our circles are. It's Okay. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with asphalt and pitch. Okay, stop right here because I found a really neat nugget of of truth. The word basket is probably not the greatest translation for us because the word here was the word tivah. T-E-V-A-H. And it doesn't translate as basket. It translates as ark. And the only other time it's used in scripture that I know of, and I've searched, but I may have missed something, is when God tells Noah to build an ark. Right away, we can see in the particulars of this story that God is building a rescue story. He is about to do something magnificent. She placed the child in it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now, I want to ask you something. If your baby boy was at risk of being drowned in the Nile, would you hide him in the Nile? No. I'd hide him in my house. I'd hide him as many miles away from the Nile River as I could. This is a woman of audacious faith. When she hides her baby in that river, then his sister, circle sister, stood at a distance in order to see what would happen to him. Now I want to stop there and this is where we meet Miriam. She's a little girl. She's probably Bible scholars say under the age of 12. She's doing something completely ordinary. She's babysitting. How many of you know that God can show up on the most ordinary days in the most ordinary places and do extraordinary things? Let this little girl who's babysitting remind you of that. And she's being courageous, and her mom has dropped the baby, the three-month-old baby, in the very place where Pharaoh intended for him to die and says to the 12-year-old, oh, and can you hang out there too? Again, this is a woman of audacious faith. Audacious faith. But where does Miriam stand? She stands... Right next to the baby basket? Right inside, where does she stand? Go ahead and tell me, read it, you can, you're capable. At a distance, okay, so I have two theories about this, you can check it, see if I'm right. Partly, maybe it was strategy, right? You wouldn't wanna be like, hey, the baby's over here, the basket's here, right? But could it also be that she was terrified? that she'd seen babies thrown into that river, that she'd heard the stories, that she'd cried with friends whose baby brothers were thrown into that river, and she was scared, silly. I don't know what God's asked you to do, how he's asked you to serve you, or how it's fearful for you, but I know this, that courage is not the absence of fear. It's obeying God scared. So whatever he's asked you to do, do it fearful. But may your fear fall in the place where you are more afraid of God and disobeying Him than you are of what's going on in the world around you. Pharaoh's daughter, circle her too. She's one of the good guys. Listen, what does she do? Went down to bathe at the Nile while her servant girls walked along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds. sent her slave girl, took it, opened it, and saw him, the child, and there he was, a little boy crying. You know, when I read that little boy thing, I wondered, when Joshua was with child, did she pray, God, let it be a girl, God, let it be a girl, God, let it be a girl? I know I would have. But God trusts her with this baby boy because she's so full of faith. So Pharaoh's daughter finds him. She felt sorry for him. God put that in her heart and said, this is one of the Hebrew boys. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing or nurse the boy for you? Okay, this girl standing at a distance in the moment when uh, she should really be afraid because an Egyptian has actually found her brother She rises up to say, how can I help you do the right thing? Can I invite you that maybe, just maybe, the lost right now are just acting like the lost. So rather than point fingers at them because they don't know to do anything but be lost, and maybe they had parents and they're just doing what their parents did because that's what children do, they do what parents did. Maybe we need to step in like this wise 12-year-old and say, how can I help you do the right thing? Do you know how many people, how many pregnant, in crisis pregnancy, women and girls will do the right thing if they have help? That's why we got to fill up the bottles. They need help and they'll do the right thing. Go, Pharaoh's daughter told her. So the girl went and called the boy's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child, nurse him for me, and I will pay your wages. Wow, this slave woman just, God provides for her. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. There's two things that um, this sweet mother does to really set the stage for her children to walk in faith. I want to share them with you very briefly as we zero in on how we should live and act in this day and age. The first is she invited her children to live courageously. She invited a 12-year-old girl to go to the front line of the battle. That's not generally what we do as parents today. Uh, Many parents even without an edict, would not let their children stand on the edge of the Nile River. They would want to make sure there was a barrier distance between them. We want to keep our kids safe, but I want to ask you, what is safe? Could you define that for me? Was Paul safe when he was shipwrecked and imprisoned for standing for the gospel and the truth and the love of Jesus Christ? I guess it depends on whose definition. Kingdom definition or world definition? Anti Christian definition or I am full of the power of Christ definition? Invite your children. Listen, Micah preached a better message than I'm going to preach today when he gave that $100 to Pastor Darren Tyler. I wonder what percentage of his wealth that represents. Invite your children to live courageously. Don't be a helicopter mom. Don't be a tiger mom or whatever dads are in that version. And don't be a passive dad. Step up and say, hey, I'm inviting you as my son, as my daughter, to walk and live in faith. And I do know that this is scary and this is really risky. Psalm 34, 4 reads, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from my fears. You know what? When you seek the Lord, the fear will fall away. But when you run from the things you're afraid of, he's not going to do that for you. I'm reading a book right now by Rebecca McLaughlin. It's called Confronting Christianity. And there's this sentence. The best way I can prepare my children for life as an adult Christian is to equip them for life as a child Christian. There's no junior Holy Spirit. There's no junior salvation. There's no junior Great Commission. When your child begins to have an understanding of reading that Bible and and responding to Christ, they are ready for the front lines. Make room for them. Invite them to be there with you. Number two, this is the most important thing. I wish I could bring you like a 10-step plan about how to raise children of faith in a post-Christian world. There... There's not one. Children throw curveballs at those things. The second thing Joshua did and Amron did, they let their children watch them live faithfully. How do I know that? Well, I don't know it from the book of Exodus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and let me read to you verse 23. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. That's not a verse about the faith of Moses. That's a verse about the faith of Moses' mom and dad. You know, I was thinking between services. Some of you are in a place where your child isn't, walking with the Lord. You might have a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old that's not walking with the Lord and your heart is breaking. I wonder if there were moments when Joshua and Amron, when their son was a teenager in the court of Pharaoh, that their heart broke and wondered, Lord, are the seeds of faith we planted in that little boy ever gonna flourish? The ark of God's grace is long. Be patient, And pray for the seeds of faith to sprout. But I know this, that the reason that Moses and Miriam and Aaron were used by God to deliver an entire people from slavery is because they watched their parents live and walk in faith. Now, they only had a few years with their little baby Moses, but I have... Three-year-old twin grandbaby girls. And when they come to my house, they find my Bible and they say, Is this your Bible? Is this your Bible? And nana Nana, is this your Bible? And they plop down on the floor with my Bible, and then they plop my glasses on. (laughs) And they start reading. They were planting seeds of faith in that little baby boy, that little toddler boy. And then they prayed. And Miriam and Aaron, they got the full thing. They got to see their mom and dad walk in faith. I would love to hear the stories. Exodus doesn't tell them those stories to us. But I wonder, are your children watching you live by faith? There's another verse here in Exodus I want to share with you. um, Over in chapter 10. It says, but my righteous one will live by faith. If he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Some versions say, if he shrinks back. And the next verse says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Don't shrink back. I want to go back to what I said earlier. Children do what they see their children, their parents do. Children do what they see their parents do. If you are living by faith right now, they will rise up to live in faith. And you know what? Living in faith is really easy when you're living in a Christian world. But it's a whole lot more authentic when you live in faith in a post-Christian world. It's the real deal now. You know, my husband and I, we were told by the Lord in the year 2020, starting in January, to buy some land and build a multi-ministry facility as our ministry has grown. We have... 123 countries we're serving, lots of different ways we're serving them. We have a girls' ministry, a boys' ministry, a Christian high school. And inspired in part by your church, we want to share that facility with a church that is going to be a conduit of God's grace. And we're starting to do that. We've been helping some families get out of Afghanistan through Pakistan. We've been funding some rescue stories for some of those exiles. We're doing it. We're starting. But I got to tell you that I didn't plan on a pandemic and economic hardship and rumors of wars and um, mortgage rates going up and products to build going up 30, 40, 50 percent. But now I get to decide if I'm going to walk by faith or fear. And a couple weeks ago, I was saying, Lord, you want us to build now? And he directed me to... um, to, to some, a passage in uh, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who was crying because the people were in exile. They were enslaved by the Babylonians, and things didn't look so good. And God says, let me tell you how to live here in this horrible time. And Jeremiah says, God says, build houses, plant gardens, marry, have children, live as if everything's Okay when everything is falling apart. Listen, when we live as if God is holding it all together when the world is falling apart and, I might add, has gone crazy, (laughs) we prove what we truly believe in how we live right now in this post-Christian world. It matters now more than ever. And if you live in faith now and you plant where God has called you to plant. You build where God has called you to build. You marry, you have children. Listen to me, I wanna tell you something. Those women that you just circled, do you know why I had you circle them? Because they're women. God used women to set the stage for this rescue story, but you know what else I wanted you to see? They were in the role of nurturing and mothering and being moms, you know, It's not just that our culture wants to kill babies, it wants to kill a woman's desire to have them. And you and I have to say, you know what, the word says that having babies is awesome. In 2008, I wrote a book, Lies Young Women Believe, and we surveyed teen girls, Christian teen girls, and it broke my heart to hear them say, I don't feel like my life will have value unless I have a career. It's more valuable than being a wife and a mom. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Listen, I am so grateful that I can own property, vote, and make more money than my husband in Jesus' name. But why does it have to be at his expense? And why does it have to be at the expense of loving the best job I will ever have in my life There will never be a better job than being a wife and being a mom to Robbie, Lexi, and Autumn. I got to tell you, the day, the first time I went shopping after I became an empty nester, I, I had to buy a small ketchup instead of a big one. <laughs> and I had a meltdown. <laughs> I still am sad that I am not, but oh, Grant, being a grandma is awesome, I got to tell you, because you get to send them back. The best thing, women, the best thing you will ever do, the most valuable thing you will ever do, and if this passage in Exodus isn't proof of it, is be maternal. Whether you give birth, whether you adopt, or whether you have spiritual daughters and sons, the most valuable thing you will ever do is affirm that you are a life-giving source on this planet. children are going to do what they see you do. So don't shrink back. Right now, live by faith. If you're under the age of 21, I wonder if you'd stand up. I'm going to ask Darren to come up and pray over you because I really believe that um, the future, you guys have a hard job You are on the front lines of the, you are living at the edge of the Nile River every day when you go into your public school, when you go into your neighborhoods, when you hang out with your friends, when you're on social media. And I want, if you're near one of these kids, I want you to lay hands on them. And we're gonna pray. I invite you, I invite you, and I hope your parents invite you to the edge of the river to stand in faith, to stand in truth. Listen, you can't know what truth is if you're not opening your Bibles. Open your Bibles every day because every day you're opening your heart and your mind to the lies of this world. So you've gotta also be opening the word. I'm talking to you if you're standing up, not if you're old, but if you're young and standing up. You've got, look, look at me, open your Bibles every day. You are the hope of the future of the church.